father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello and welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Cycle Podcast, your waste time and fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Can I tell you something? Sure. Ryan. Yeah. The internet is stupid. Um, per- Hot take, Joanna. Per- <laughs> yeah. Particularly internet news sites are stupid. It is absolutely horrible as far as just like the clickbait stuff. Yes. Do you have an example? I'm looking at an article now. This is from, admittedly, not the most reputable source. It's metro.co.uk. That's where I get all my news. And it's like a cute enough thing that even though it was inconsequential, I was going to share it. But this writer, who am I going to single out? Let's see. Adam Miller. We're coming for you, Adam. On Saturday. Oh, I'm coming, I'm coming for him with receipts. On Saturday, 11 August 2018, 3.16 p.m. That's today. He wrote an entire article about Tolkien's influence on George R.R. R. Martin, and he did not spell Tolkien correctly once. Oh, boy. Can you give us an example of his... Well, let's see. To celebrate Game of Thrones being added to the Great American Read Collection, George R.R. R. Martin opened up about his greatest influences with... Comma, for no reason. J.R.R. Tolkien, obviously coming out on top. Oh, I before E, except that there's C, my professional journalist friend. That's, and then, let's see, is there more? You got paid to make this, Adam Miller. And Martin has taken the teachings of Tolkien to spawn the goriest and most prolific bloodbath of all time, with 174,373 deaths in Game of Thrones so far. I, I don't know about that. He, he's trying to be funny. I, it's, I, I just, I'm not even willing to give him, like, a half-hearted chuckle because that's so annoying. Like basic research. Okay, the article that you're talking about, it's it's generous calling it an article. It's maybe five paragraphs. Um, and each paragraph is one sentence long. Yeah. And all it says is when George R. R. Martin was talking about his literary influences, he mentioned Tolkien near the top of the list. Duh! If you're writing fantasy, that's obviously gonna be on there. He mentions that. He was influenced, or there was an impact on him by the fact that Gandalf was killed off, because in a normal fantasy story, you wouldn't kill off such a major character like that in the middle of the story. So there's some speculation that he's taken that lesson to heart, but I really think it was just a throwaway line. And anyway, I don't care. Adam Miller of Metro.co.uk, do some basic research, at least Google J.R.R. Tolkien, at least how to spell it. I know you write for, like, a total garbage site, but come on, try. Just try. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Balls in your court, Miller. Seriously, making me lose my mind. All right, what do you got? I mean, I I don't have anything. I had a bunch of also, when I was looking up Star Wars news, a bunch of clickbait stuff like, shocking new reveal that makes Darth Vader's death all the more tragic. And it's like, it's just apart from the Return of the Jedi novelization. That's like... Gives him some character. Shocking reveal. Mark Hamill ate a cheese sandwich Can today. Can you believe it? No. So anyway, I don't have any news. I didn't have, No Adam Miller articles for Star Wars this week, unfortunately. Well, I'm going to click on this guy and see what else he's written. Okay, we shouldn't just drag this dude. We don't know who he is. He starts a bunch of, like, crappy TV show articles, looks like. He does. 
He's a media dude. A Friends fan spots something really strange going on with Joey's oven in the final episode. WTF is that? Can someone please tell us what's going on? Can someone tell us what's going on with Matt LeBlanc's goddamn oven in the final episode of Friends? It's almost like it was Can we a- we just solve this? It's a background prop no one thought anyone would be looking at it. For 12 long years since Friends was canceled, I've been wondering what the hell is going on with Joey's oven in the final episode. Can we talk about things that are actually matter in this world? Like- like um, Middle Earth and well, the Star Wars. I, I should tell you, Ryan. Um, I've I've invited a special guest. I, I'm not exactly sure when they're going to show up, but aye. Oh, that would be them. That, that, don't be scared. Now these guys, they come off like a little, little like a little fishy. Maybe they're, they're a little kooky, a little crazy. I don't like but, these spookers. Yeah, but that's the way things always were. With these these movie stars, you know, like they got the quirks. Um, Did you take all the brown M&Ms out of the bowl? I took all the brown M&Ms out of the bowl. I've agreed to let them saunter around uh, reciting random snippets of poetry in the shadows, uh, doing a real Marlon Brando type thing. And so, yeah, but they've agreed generously that you can ask them three questions. They are, of course, the Nazgul from Lord of the Rings. Wow, the Nazgul. Well, welcome, guys. Welcome. Uh, three I questions guess, and three questions only. I guess I want to start... Um, how do you balance work and family? That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay. That's a take I didn't expect. No, I mean, a lot of good advice there. I think we could all take to heart. What's your favorite word? Any advice for any young aspiring Nazgul out there? Wow. Fresh take. Fresh take. You said I gave a hot take. That was... The hottest. Wow, thank you. That, I mean, that's... that's that was scorch your retinas if you look at it hot. That was like fresh air in here, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, not so fresh because these guys are stinking up the joint, but you get my you idea. That, that old corpse, like, uh, use band-aid smell. Yeah. But, all right, cool. Well, uh... Are they just going to sit there in the corner of the whole episode? I think that's what they do. Yeah, they did this when I scheduled them, too. I can't tell if they're even looking at me, or if they but don't I have, feel they it. They don't have eyes, so... I kind of feel it in my soul a little bit. Yeah, you can see their clothes, interestingly, and we'll get to the reason why that is in a minute. Yeah. Because this week's episode is about Nazgul. Ooh, just in time for spooky August. Yep, so we do Pride Month... And March Madness two months late, and we do Halloween two months early. It's not Halloween, it's Spooky August. Spooky August. This is the season for spooks and ghouls. And we've got nine of the greatest spooks and ghouls right here in our living room. Dang. Staring down our cats. Yikes. Making goo-goo eyes, maybe, that we can't see. But, first of all, Ryan, do you know what Nazgul means? Uh, no, I don't. Well, it's black speech. Racist. <laughs> it's black speech because that's the name of the language that Tolkien came up with because all the orcs were speaking crazy different dialects and he needed something to unify his forces. Okay, he was a racist. Good. So he was a racist. Yeah, he was a racist. I mean, like, I, I don't know for a fact that he was a racist. Well, we know he hated elves, so yeah, I guess he is. Yeah. I would almost argue that that's, like, the least of his sins. Yeah. He was going to genocide, like, everybody. Mm-hmm. Not just, like, one mm-hmm. particular race. Mm-hmm. But it means ringwraith. Okay. I guess ghoul is wraith and Nas is, must be ring. Ring. We're not sure. Tolkien didn't outline black speech in as much detail as he did some of his other languages. Just as racist as Sauron. I'm oh, sorry. Sauron's one of those guys who wears a t-shirt who's like, I don't hate you. I just hate everybody. No, I'm not racist. I hate everybody equally. Yes, that. My, my dad actually says that like about other people a lot. 
Your dad is Sauron, by the way. My dad, well, <laughs> that would explain why, yeah. yeah. The Ringwraiths were the nine men corrupted by the power of Sauron's nine rings and transformed into his dark and deathless servants. Also sometimes called the Nine, Black Riders, etc. So basically they were Sauron's main dudes. So if Sauron needed them to go murder some elves, they'd go murder some elves. If Sauron needed a beer, they'd go get him a beer. There was boys. Yeah. His entourage. If Sauron needed to be held gently for a few hours, just, just, just a little. Just for a while, they wouldn't do it because they were like total no homo. Oh, really? They were so into toxic masculinity. First question, how and why did Sauron create the Nazgul? Any ideas? Well, them rings seem pretty instrumental in it. Instrumental indeed, my good friend. So we all know Sauron was goofing in the Second Age. And by goofing, I mean like he was on his stuff like 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So his master Morgoth had been launched into space. Right. So Sauron was basically free to do whatever. He didn't have to hang out on Werewolf Island and turn into vampires and werewolves. He said, it's time to make my own spooky monsters. Yes. So in the 1600s of the Second Age, Sauron decided to go jewelry shopping. Was he like a lucky lady in his life? He had nine lucky men. Okay. In I his mean, life. No, um, no, no shade being thrown. No. So specifically, he went to the greatest jewelry shop of all. No, not the jewelry factory in Livonia, Michigan. So he went to Eregion. And you remember that this was the Elvish kingdom that was tight with the dwarves of Moria. Yeah. And they made the rings. All the rings, except for the one ring. So he went there in his favorite disguise, Anatar, the beautiful emissary of the Valar. Right. So, like, I mean, I say it's his favorite disguise. His favorite disguise might have been a vampire or a werewolf. I mean, that would be my preference, personally. Yeah. But this time he was Anatar, the last airbender. Anywho, <laughs> he went to Eregion and he ordered nine special rings. Once these rings were made, Sauron sneaked off and forged the one ring inside an active volcano, which is a baller move, you have to admit. That's pretty cool. And the other rings of power instantly fell under the sway of the one ring, which is just what he had intended. Yeah, so yeah. these nine rings that had been made in Eregion suddenly became, like, super evil. And Celebrimbor, the leader in Eregion, was like, what's up with our, why are all our rings, like, super evil? What so happened? Far? Like, they're encouraging teen girls to develop eating disorders. Aww. They're, like, cyberbullying some teens. What happened? What happened to our rings? The rings, they got all nasty. And so they became aware of the fact that something was amiss. And when Sauron was like, hey, are my rings ready? Cool. Can I have them? They were like, no. You cannot have these rings, sir. Denied. Denied. So they wouldn't give him the rings. And this resistance led to a very vicious and snappily named War of the Elves and Sauron. I mean, it's direct. It's direct. You know exactly what it is. Yeah. So the War of the Elves and Sauron, um, Eregion was leveled. So Eregion came to an end. And this was the one where the dwarves didn't help them. The dwarves just kind of turtled inside of Moria. And mm, so that was kind of the, yeah. the end of that friendship, right? Got some beef going. And Sauron captured most of the Rings of Power, including the Nine. Sauron gained the Nine Rings in the year 1697 of the Second Age, and he spent the next few centuries using them to draw nine of the evilest, soul-sucking snakes Middle-earth had to offer into his grasp. And we don't know very much about these evil, soul-sucking snakes. We know they were men. Yeah. We know three of them were Numenorians. Oof. And at least one named Kamul was an Easterling, a lord of the Easterlings. They're all lords, though, right? They're, They're all, all lords. They're all lords. Important 
one percenters. Yeah, they were the one percent. Like, when yeah. we all organized on Wall Street, like, this is what we were organizing against. Yeah, definitely. Bankers with evil rings. Yeah. And so each of these men was given one of the nine rings, and through those rings, each was drawn into the wraith world immediately. The wraith world? The wraith world! And their wills were completely enslaved by Sauron. The wraith world? So even if they had, like, wanted to change their minds, they couldn't because they were in the wraith world. You can't just throw the wraith world at me. You gotta explain the wraith world. You've seen the wraith world. When Frodo puts on the ring, that's what he sees. Oh, that's the wraith world. Where everything's, like, all weird and black and white, like it was back in black and white times. Right. And, like, kind of flowy and ghostly. That's the wraith world. That's the wraith world. It's, like, parallel to our own world. It's like the astral plane. Yes. So if we can see the astral plane, we can see all these ghosts that are all zipping around us all the time because you know they are ghost be zipping, then we um, would be in the Wraith world. Wraith world. The Wraith world. So, they were transformed into the Nazgul, the Nine Ring Wraiths. The Ring Wraiths first emerged, as I said, in the middle of the 23rd century of the Second Age. So it took Sauron a while to like, gather them together, like mm-hmm. several hundred years. But once he did, they became a terror in Middle-earth throughout the entirety of the end of the Second Age and also into the Third Age. And ultimately, they haunted the world for more than 4,000 years. So that's not a bad track record. Now, hang on, real quick. Did these guys become ring race immediately? Or did they become it over time? Like, immediately. The way but, okay, it's put like, okay. is that they put the rings on and they were drawn into the wraith. You know what? It might not be immediate. It might have taken some because time. Because I remember in the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring and they go through, like, you know, the movie and Galadriel's telling the story it shows, like, the dwarves got these rings and the elves got these rings. You know what? Aragorn shows, does say one by one falling into darkness. It shows nine dudes holding rings. I don't know how accurate that visual is. Actually, I don't know how long it t- it took. Okay. So when Aragorn says one by one they fell into darkness, maybe it was like one put it on, poof, then the next put it on, poof. Or maybe it was like over the course of several hundred years. Okay. I don't know. Interesting thing here, the Nazgul did not keep their own rings. They trade them? No, Sauron held on to them. Oh. And Tolkien stated this explicitly in a letter. So he says, through their nine rings, which he held, he had primary control of their wills. So not only did he hold those rings himself, but they were somehow necessary to maintain his control over the Nazgul. This also explains why. So you know when Frodo puts on the ring, he's like completely invisible, clothes and all? Yeah. But the Nazgul aren't, right? Mm. Their clothes are still, that's because they are completely in the wraith world. So they're not actually wearing the rings. If they're actually wearing the rings, robes and all, they would be invisible. But they're not actually wearing the rings. Sauron has them. So what I'm imagining is Sauron, a ring on each finger, just twinkling them around. Except for that one that he's missing. Yeah. Mm, I need that one back from that freaking hobbit. Well, I mean, one of his fingers is also missing. Oh, it's even I worse. mean, like, let's be real. All of his fingers are missing because he's like a disembodied spirit of evil. But... A disembodied spirit with big old hands, like, waving his rings around. Except for that one, he just wants it back. Yeah. Yeah. I just want my finger back. My fingy. I just want my fingies back. My ringy and my fingy. <laughs> Obviously, the Nazgul, for like quite a while, as mm-hmm. we said, are just tearing stuff up in Middle-earth. But then, Sauron got defeated in the last alliance of men and elves. So, so that's kind of a big oops. Uh, you remember that? By yeah, the way, it was I do. like I do. Isildur's dad and mm-hmm. Gilgalad, and it was the beginning of the film version of the Fellowship of the Rings. Right. So, yes. Yeah, that was kind of a setback. But don't worry, because the Nazgul did get their groove back. Oh, good. Not by dating younger men, or at least not just by dating younger men. <laughs> Maybe that was in there. I don't know. Uh, but by establishing a brand new fortress of evil in the second millennium of the Third Age, Sauron returned in secret to found Dol Guldur. Oh, I know that place. Yup, and his nine main dudes began to reappear in Middle-earth. 
at this point, Gondor was immensely strong at this time in its history, right? So, like, they had defeated Sauron in the last alliance of men and elves, and they were just, like, making bank and doing well. And mm-hmm. So, the North Kingdoms of Arnor, remember that? Yep. So, yep. there was the South Kingdom of the Numenorians in exile, which was Gondor, and then the North Kingdom was Arnor. Yeah. It was not doing so good. Oh, no. So it had already weakened and divided into three kingdoms, which is uh, which are the ones I tell you to never... Yeah, I, I always them. tell you to forget. I forgot them. So you've got... That's good. In about the year 1300 of the Third Age, the Lord of the Nazgul, so the leader dude, traveled into the north to seek revenge on his master's enemies. Ooh. So Sauron, like, really hated the people of Gondor, or the Numenorians generally. And it wasn't enough that he, like, sank their island by encouraging them to fight God. Yeah. He, he, he had to take them out entirely. This leader of the Nazgul founded a new realm in the far northern reaches of the Misty Mountains, and he gathered all his evil dudes and his orcs, and he created the kingdom of Angmar, and he became its witch king. Oh, okay. I always thought it was interesting that he was a witch king and not, like, a wizard king or a warlock king, because witch is traditionally thought of as female. He just transcends gender roles. It's fine. He's he's really progressive, and... (laughs) Even though earlier we said he was super into performing masculinity, but... Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was just, like, maybe he was just woke. He's pretty woke. Maybe he was a woke bay, as they say on the internet. He's the most feminist Nazgul. He is the most feminist of all the Nazgul, so he was a witch king. And so once this new kingdom was established, he started conquesting, just conquesting all over, just trying to take out the northern Dunedain. Yes, king. Yes, king. Slay. So (laughs) he slayed. The eastern kingdom, so of these three kingdoms, the easternmost, Rudar, was closest to Angmar, and so that's kind of where he set up shop. And Rudar's lord... One of the, quote, hillmen. Okay. Was totally down with turning evil. Like, he didn't care. So he went evil, and with that alliance, the Witch King of Angmar managed to take down or make inroads into the other two kingdoms, Cardalan and Arthedain. And a lot of this fighting, their skirmishes, took place along the Weather Hills, which marked the border between these two powers. Now, Weather Hills. Does that remind you of anything? Weather Top. Weather Top. Yeah, the Watchtower of Amun-Sul yep. was part of those. Okay. So when Aragorn and the Hobbits are, are going past the Watchtower of Amun-Sul, they're actually pa- passing through the old border between the kingdoms. Interesting. Not that the Hobbits knew any of that. Anyway, after like a century of skirmishing, Angmar launched its first real assault. They destroyed the Watchtower of Amun-Sul, killed the King of the Arthodine, and then they marched through Cardalon, leaving very few survivors... And so it looked like uh, like things were going well, like things were just going their way, right? It looked like they were kind of just like, you know. Yeah. Like everybody was cheering. The boys were back in town. Hell yeah. Right? Yeah. You feeling it? I am feeling it. So yeah. like imagine you're like part of the Witch King's forces and you're like just wrecked Arthodine, killed its king. Destroyed the Watchtower of Amun-Sul, now you're marching to Kamalan, yeah. and, and leaving very few survivors. I love it. No survivors, as far as I can tell. And this was the song he mm. wrote at that time. Wow. The, the song of his Angmar people. As the song of his people. Hey! Alright, so. There was, unfortunately. Sorry, I just want to listen to this song some more. So there was, unfortunately, one thing that the Witch King of Angmar had not reckoned on, and that was the elves. Son of a witch. Son of a witch. So Elrond 
called up some forces from Linden and from Lorien, and they pushed back the forces of Angmar, and they contained them. Okay, so during this time, the Lord of the Nazgul was contained, but the men still weren't doing well. Even with the elves as their allies, they couldn't destroy the Nazgul completely. They just didn't have that kind of power. Also during this time, the plague, which we've talked about a few times, swept through. So the few survivors that were in Cardalon were killed. So it was essentially a ghost kingdom now. So the Witch King started setting up forces again for one final crushing blow. And he sent out evil spirits into all the western lands. <laughs> and the burial mounds and the barrow downs became a place of horror and dread with disembodied hands screaming and ghosts playing dress up with the unconscious bodies of hobbits. And... That's where that comes from. Well, yeah, it's... If you listening out there have, like, a better grasp on this, let me know. But what it sounds like is that the Barrow Downs were just, like, normal non-haunted graves, and then he sent additional ghosts there to, like, live there. So, like... Maybe he just woke up the ghosts who were there already. Maybe he did. It says that he sent them out there, though. Well, they are probably in, in the Wraithweld, and he's like, get back out there, boys. Have Possibly. some fun. I just love the idea that, like, they're, like the ghosts that were in the Barrow Downs weren't troubling people enough, so he had to send, like, supplementary ghosts. Yeah, you gotta rile... Like, bother people more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, after more than 500 years, and this took him a while to, like, get his forces up again, the great army of Angmar was ready, and though the men of Arthodyne had warning of the Witch King's coming, and they sent south the Gondor for aid, the Gondorians couldn't come. Why not? Well, because of the Wayne Riders. Wayne Riders. So do you remember the Wayne Riders? Like, they were orcs and wagons. Yeah. So they're like, sorry guys, like, we can't help. We got all these orcs wheeling themselves around in wagons. All these wagons with orcs in them. All these little radio flyers (laughs) tugging each other out. Little radio flyer wagons. It's really distracting. (laughs) It's really, really distracting. So basically, things were looking like they were coming up Witch King again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, when at last the Witch King was ready, he overthrew the remnant of the Dunedain with very little difficulty. Hell yeah. The survivors were driven west across the River Loon or into the cold north. And their last king, Arvadui, was also driven out with them. Good, so the good line riddance. of kings in the north had ended. Well, and the, the door witch- hits you on the way out, idiot. And the Witch King settled in the capital of Fornost of Arthodyne and people that his evil followers. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah! That's not even, I didn't even say the right one syllable cheer. That's what the song's called is yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired, I can't even get that right. So, however, 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 much to the Witch King's chagrin, down in Gondor, they had finally fought off the last of the Wayne Riders. They had burned the last of those wagons, and they sent a fleet northward in aid of their northern allies. It's just a roller coaster with these boys. It really is. So the Witch King marched out from Fornos and he met the Gondorians in battle. But the Gondorians won, long story short, and the Witch King had to flee and escape to Mordor. It's okay. He'll come back. I know it. Well. He wasn't spooky at this point in time? Oh, he's about to get even spookier because we're in Mordor now, boy. Oh, dang. So when he was in Mordor... He summoned the eight other ringwraiths to him, and in the year 2000, the Third Age, he led them into a siege at Minas Ithil. Minas Ithil was the Tower of the Moon at that time, and it was uh, connected to Minas Tirith on the other mm. side of the river. And they changed the name to Minas Morgul, which is Tower mm. of the Dead. So goth. 
So goth, so edgelord. So, 41 years after the capture of Minas Morgul, the king of Gondor died, and he was succeeded by his son, and his son's name was Aranur. And the only reason this guy matters is because he had led the forces that defeated the Witch King in the north earlier. So Witch King hated this dude. So Witch King calls this dude up and he's like, Anor, 1v1 me. Oh, yeah. And Anor's like, yeah. Yeah, dude, I'll 1v1 you. Like, oh, dude, pay-per-view, everyone's gonna be tuning into this. Seriously, like, this is gonna be like the knockout battle of the century. Yeah. But Aenor's steward, Mardil, was like, don't one, dude, we're not, Mardil, no, such we're a not buzz doing kill, that. Dude. We're Come not on. 1v1 Come on. Like, no, Come on. we're not. That's not gonna happen. So. Come on! So, he decided not to. And now you can almost see why Denethor, the steward of Gondor, is, like, a little bit annoyed about being supplanted by a king. Because, like, his ancestor stopped the king's ancestor from like trying to 1v1 a little witch yeah yeah so you can kind of understand you can kind of understand so a few years later seven years later to be precise the king of the nazgul (laughs) asked again 1v1 me come on bro and this time erinor agreed and he was killed immediately (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) so that was how the line of king's was broken in Gondor. By the old witch king. By the old witch king. Now you've seen They got witch slapped. They got witch slapped. And so it was just stewards from then on until Aragorn showed up. Interesting. Like, okay. Just the stuff that they did. So, question. Are the Nazgul dead? Well, the witch king died because Eowyn stabbed him. Yes, he was stabbed by Eowyn and seemed to die. However, it should be noted that nobody was ever found. Well, he didn't have a body in the first place. Uh, I guess that's fair enough. He was a ghostman. That's a, a ghostman. Yeah. Ronald Ghostman, attorney of law. Yeah. <laughs> the others probably disintegrated after the destruction of the One Ring, or at the very least, they would have been rendered completely powerless. So it was like dying, but lamer. So if anyone found those nine rings, they'd be like, oh boy, I got nine new friends I can order around. Oh, you know, I guess the, I don't know. I think you have to be, like, pretty, pretty powerful to, like, control them. I bet Sauron put, like, a like a privacy lock on them or something. He probably like, did. Yeah, put the password in. Like, yeah, it was, like, the touch ID or, like. And, the, and you type in all the different things. You do password one, two, three. You do, like, uh, you know, Sauron. The name you, of his dog. The name of his dog. <laughs> Morgoth rules. And none of it works. None of it works. So you get locked out. No, I think that, yeah, exactly. You get locked out and then you have to call customer service to like unlock it. Yeah. It's like this whole big thing. Anyway, my last point here. A lot of people have wondered who were all the Nazgul. We know Kamul. Kamul. We know Easterling which was the second in command. We, well, we don't know his name. Oh, no. You will see. Okay, so it might seem weird, but apart from Kamul, we don't know the names of any of the Nazgul. It seems kind of weird, but that's just the way it is. However, if you search online, you will find other names floating out there. So specifically, you may read that their names are Murazor, which is supposed to be the Witch King, Dwar, Jindor, Akhoralhil, Anohoramurath, Adunapfel, Ren, and Uvatha. These, where, did, where did those come from? A Lord of the Rings card game. Oh, okay. So they're not canon. The card game did a good job inventing names. Like, they even made sure that three of them were Numenorian, but they are not canon. So, waste of time. Come a little bust. Yeah, absolutely right. waste of time. Gotcha. And that's what I have for you today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thank, 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 thank you. And, and thanks to our special guest, who uh, can feel free to leave just any time they want. Yeah, they're not, they're not leaving. No, they're not leaving. They're going to be here. I don't know if they're going to... Like, between you and Boy, me. Well, they just keep screaming. The only reason I was getting so jazzed about the Witch King was because they were looking at me the whole time. I didn't just, like, him. trying to look enthusiastic. Yeah. Yeah. Not really that cool of a guy, but uh, when you got him staring right at you, what are you going to say? You gotta, yeah. All right, guys, that's enough. <laughs>
That's enough. Calm down. Please stop. Okay, maybe we should talk about something else because this seems to be annoying them. All right, I'm going to scare those fools with something even scarier than a Nazgul. Oh, yeah? You, you told me that you were going to talk about these scary boys. I said, what's the scariest thing in Star Wars I can talk about today for spooky August? And what I came up with is the Sarlacc. You better scream. Tell us about the Sarlacc, that most yonic of all Star Wars creatures. It is truly the most yonic. So, the Sarlacc pit. There's, it's not just one thing. It's a whole species of creatures. The one we see in Return of the Jedi is called the Great Pit of Carcoon. But it has a long and storied history. So you know, Carcoon is my, my favorite uh, spring break destination. Carcoon, baby! Bottoms up in Carcoon! Girls gone wild in Carcoon! So, a Sarlacc. It's a semi-sentient, plant-like, omnivorous creature found on several planets across the galaxy. Okay, yeah, I got that part. The lifespan of a Sarlacc has been estimated to measure between 20,000 and 50,000 years. These babies live a long time. Are they able to reproduce throughout all that? Well, I'm going to tell you all about them, Joanna. Don't worry about that. Okay. Younger members of the species can move under the sands rapidly and catch their prey, while older ones remain immobile, waiting for prey to stumble into their clutches. Oh, just like the one that Java used. That one is just stuck where it is because it's super old and it's going to let things fall into its mouth. It seems kind of like stupid that they live in the desert because that's like the least likely place for prey to come stumbling well, along. We'll find out about that. Oh, there's, oh, there's okay. More, you shouldn't just make assumptions about a sarlacc pit. No, I don't want to make an ass out of you and me. No. Female sarlacc pits generally grew much larger than males, to the point that their breeding required that a male attach itself to the female, Ew. being entirely dependent on their much larger companion. So, you know, it's all about the, the matriarchy here. Men still do that, though. I mean, it's just, <laughs> am I right, girls? Am I am right? I right, men still do that, though. Men just, like, attach on you and, and leech your resources while you grow bigger and bigger. Totally. It's like girls, that man. Girls, am I right? So same thing with Sarlacc pits. You are right, though. Xenobiologists were unsure if it was actually an animal or a plant because it had traits of both. So, like, it would eat things, but also had these kind of roots below the surface that would suck up moisture. I mean, Venus flytraps do that. Yeah, they, they kind of lean toward the plant side of things. But it could also, like, reproduce and had, like, young and stuff. So it's well, hard I mean, to plants t- can reproduce. Well, sure, 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 sure. That's true. People weren't really sure. And I'm not one to say it's one or the other. I thought you were going to be like, people were stupid back then. <laughs> I mean, they were, but, you know. <laughs> they reproduced. You asked about this earlier. They reproduced by spores, which are known as sarlacci. These traveled through space until they found a suitable planet to inhabit. They yes. set their spores out across the galaxy, hopefully landing on a planet that could support them. So the babies are small, though. They're little. So when yeah. they first land, they'd find an organism and start sucking their blood, sucking their energy out. And they grew bigger and bigger and bigger, like a leech. Yeah. And eventually it got big enough to challenge larger creatures. And in some rare cases, when the larger creature would eat a sarlacc, it was no problem. It would eat that creature from the inside out. Oh, God! Wait, so were they ambulating at this point? Yes. Like, were they, they had, like, legs and they were walking around. Tentacles. Oh, my God. Like so a weird-looking like, worm. You could see a baby sarlacc just, like, crawling around? And, and eating you from the inside out, yeah. Oh, God. So Sweet that in the butt. But eventually it got too big to move around and would burrow into the ground. So they land in the dirt, they start wiggling in there, catching prey, and they start getting down lower, 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 letting the roots grow. Hence, Sarlacc Pit. Exactly. That great pit of carcoon that we talked about, that's only its mouth, okay? How much of it is below the surface? Just like an iceberg or deep girls on the internet, there's so much more below the surface. (laughs) Deep boys, too. Yeah, there's really deep people online. It's like, there's more than meets the eye. That's a Sarlacc pit as well. Wow. It goes down a lot further. That part that sticks out in the special edition, the little, like, bitey thing? Yeah. People thought it was its mouth. No, no, no. That's its tongue. 
Oh my god! Which inside has a separate tongue inside of it. Why does its tongue have a tongue? Like, we heard you like tongues, you put a tongue in your tongue? Tongueception. Ooh. Wait, so what, like, how big is its mouth then? Huge. It sat on the ground, embedded into it, and it would send out nice odors and scents that would attract prey into its big old gaping maw. When they got close enough, they'd stick out some tentacles and grab them and pull them in. Ooh. That's how it got its food. Yeah. You know what the Sarlacc is? Hmm. A stenching bitch castrator. It really is a stenching bitch castrator. Like, if ever I have seen a stenching bitch castrator, it's the Sarlacc. I mean, it for sure is. You're dishing on this feminist icon. I wish you wouldn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that this was like one of your this beautiful Yonic hero of all womankind. Yeah, and, and you're just dishing on it. Do you think it does like the like, like those super lame like find your inner goddess classes where it just like sits in a room and it goes like <laughs> like yells and stuff. And yeah, and then it eats everybody. Oh yeah, that's that's, lure- part of, that's part of those classes too. It lures them to class with sweet smells and then eats them. Upper middle class white women are weird, man. That's like the kind of stuff they do. Yeah, inner goddess, I love that. So I'm gonna start and get, I'm gonna get a little bit gross here because we're gonna go into how it eats its prey, how it digests it. So any of you vor heads out here, don't get too riled up during this, but it might get a bit sticky. Did you hear that noise? That was like all of them loosening their belts. That was gross. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize we had that many people listening to Vore. That was thunderous. Vore heads out there. So let me read what it says on the Wikipedia. After being swallowed, the victim made its way into the Sarlacc's stomach to be digested, purportedly being kept alive and slowly digested for a millennium. The Sarlacc's throat had many veins and vessels which acted as sensors to determine what size, weight, and strength their victim had, allowing the Sarlacc to decide which stomach to put its prey into. Whoa. So wait, did it have like a little cubby just for humans, a little well, cubby yeah. just for huts? Stronger prey were put into the secondary stomachs, while smaller prey went into the main stomach. A strong network of vessels inside the stomach punctured the victim's skin and muscles, and then embedded itself into its victims before injecting neurotoxins into them, preventing the victims from escaping and ensuring they remained immersed in the acidic fluids of the stomach and attached to the walls of the stomach. So basically these veins, these veiny tentacles would stick out and just embed themselves into your skin and just start making you part of the walls of its stomach. So wait, so you're saying that... It would keep you alive for a thousand years. So, like, if you want to extend your lifespan, then the best way to do it is by getting eaten by a sarlacc. That's one way to do it. I mean, it has its perks. I'll get to well, those in a minute. Jeez, like, why doesn't everyone just do that? Come on! So let me tell you why it might not be a great idea. Well, what, besides the fact that you're being slowly digested so, over millennia? You're right, it keeps you alive. What other drawback could there possibly be? Sometimes when a victim is in the stomach for a long time period, the sarlacc actually embedded it into the lining of the stomach to make room for other victims that were swallowed. Just go off to the side, buddy. Ooh. Just go into my walls a little Ooh. bit. Uh, the pain endured by its victims in this process was reputed to be unimaginable with only rare individuals such as Boba Fett and Zorba the Hutt being able to resist it. That's Are right, because no, because Zorba the Hutt is too... I'm trying to figure... That's right, Boba Fett was in there. Yeah. But Zorba the Hutt, it spit him back out. Right. Because he was too nasty. We'll get into that a little bit more here. I have a question. Yes. So when you were, like, down in the stomach and, like, a new person came down there and you were still alive, could she talk to him? Be like, yeah, I've been here for, like, 700 years. You get used to it after a while? I mean, you never really get used to it, I guess, but, I mean, you know, it becomes... That's just the new normal. That's the interesting part. So I mentioned the Sarlacc are semi-sentient. Yes. So when you got eaten by a Sarlacc and you're being digested by it, it was thought that the consciousness of its victims would join with the Sarlacc and to create this kind of network of consciousnesses of everyone being digested at the same time. Like, we are Sarlacc. We are one. Yeah. The Sarlacc absorbed their thoughts. 
and it became more and more intelligence the more it ate. Like, if that thing absorbed me, it's going to be, like, like 20 times more anxious. It's suddenly going to have, like, a really weird thing about hair around the bathroom sink. Right. It's like, like it's going to just eat slices of cheese plain all the time. Well, it gets like, all your memories. It's going to become a mess. It gets all your memories and experiences and puts it into this ghoulish web of consciousness. I'm just saying, like, that can benefit the Sarlacc in no way. No, no, no. It'd be able to speak as you and think as you, and even to the point where it could predict what its victims are going to do next if they try to escape. Because it gets so into their heads. Um, you know what I just imagined? What's that? <laughs> ate Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. Oh, joy. And it just started saying, like, every time it ate a new person, it just said Bazinga. I'm excited to read your fan fiction. Oh, it's already been written. Yeah. What, my, my Sheldon Cooper Vore fan fiction? Yeah. I don't even need to write it. Like, so many people on the internet, I'm sure, have done that for me. I'm sure they... Joanna. God. I don't know if I can even release this episode now. Gross. I'm so sorry. I hate it. At least I didn't say it was eating young Sheldon Cooper. Uh, that's illegal. <laughs> Adult Sheldon Cooper, that's all consensual. But if it ain't young Sheldon Cooper, that's a bridge too far. Uh, we have laws against these things. We have laws against this conversation. We have laws against Sheldon Cooper. Bazinga. Bazinga. I have a picture here of a cross-section of the Sarlacc pit. Some examples of what it might look like. So again, we only see a small section Ooh. of it. All them stomachs, Ew. roots. Which stomach do you would you prefer to put you in? Well, the main one goes the fastest. I'd want to get out of that as soon as possible. Like I feel like the main one. Maybe if you like move fast enough, you could crawl out its bum. Before does it have a bum? No, it doesn't. So this is just a dead end. Dead, dead end. So you can't get out. No, only way out is in. Yeah, then I definitely want to go the fastest then. There's a, a male sarlacc attached to it, too, you notice? Oh, that's the male? He's so little, it's right? so tiny. Yeah. Tiny, complicated little man. Yeah. So anyway, uh, a lot of this information comes from a pretty interesting story in Tales from Jabba's Palace. It's Boba Fett's story. Uh-huh. How he gets out of the Sarlacc pit. Right. And because they couldn't just have him end there because it was too lame and people, for some mysterious reason, thought Boba Fett was really cool. Well, the story is kind of interesting because it really gets into his brain because the Sarlacc pit basically mentally tortures him. Yeah. And gets into his head and gives him visions and stuff and talks to him while he's in the pit through its previous victims. Ooh. Yeah. So I got a bit of uh, reader's theater here if Ooh, you want to nice. join me. Uh, I have the part of Boba, and I have the part of the Sarlacc. Who do you want to be? Um, I want to be the Sarlacc. Okay, this is from A Barve Like That, The Tale of Boba Fett by J.D. Montgomery. Okay, so this is Boba Fett being psychologically tortured while being digested inside a Sarlacc. This is after the Sarlacc has shown him a bunch of visions of his past, and now he's embedded into the wall as he's slowly being digested. Okay, got it. Okay. So who the blazes are you? I am the Inferno. You are quite accurate. I am the Sarlacc. I am the distilled essence of... You're not the Sarlacc. Sarlaccian intelligent. They don't have a brain worthy of the name. I am Suseho. The wall Fett hung from shivered, an emotion that could have been delight emanated from the creature. It has been a long time since I had one like you, all bright and sharp around the edges. You are nearly a work of art, Fett. There is a clarity to you that is quite wonderful, a purity to your intent. I'm a hunter. I bring those who do evil to justice, and there's little room to be unclear on the subject. You remind me of someone. Ah, I have it. You remind me of the babe. I'm kidding. The Jedi, you remind, you remind me of the Jedi. The Jedi. 
Yes, a Jedi we ate a few thousand years ago. We've kept her. Would you like to meet her? Nah, keep your Jedi to yourself. As you wish. You look forward to a break in the tedium. Soon enough. I don't understand this. I don't understand this at all. Why is this being prolonged? Is there any purpose? The Starlight can eat me when I'm dead, can it? I've killed, I've killed virtually anything that moves, one time or another. A hundred different species, sentient and dumb. If it breathes, I've probably killed it or something like it. But I've killed clean. I've killed without stretching it out. Where's the grace in a death like this? For you? Why, I suppose there is none. But your life and death belong to me now, not you. And they serve my purpose. Recognize and understand your place in things, Boba Fett. For you are not even a real thing, merely a collection of thoughts that has deluded itself into a belief in its own existence. We are processes that have grown arrogant and broken apart from the real. In time, we shall be rejoined to it. You want to know why this is taking so long? You've barely been down here a day, Boba Fett. There are sentients who've been kept alive for hundreds of years while the Sarlacc digested them. Thousands of years, in some cases. You lie. You're not the Sarlacc. You're down here with me. I'm not the Sarlacc. Don't be so sure of that. I am Suseho of Choi, or I was, and I have been here for a very, very long time. Longer than you can imagine, but who knows? Perhaps you will not have to imagine it. Perhaps you will survive. You entertain me, and that which entertains me entertains the Sarlacc. When I am happy, it is happy. I expect you will be with us for some time. You're cruel. There's a joke that my Jedi told me. Ascension visits a nearby farm and sees a barb in the front yard wandering around on five legs. One leg has been amputated. The sentient in question, Jojo, asks the owner why the barb has had a leg amputated. Well, says the owner, let me tell you something about that barb. That's the smartest barb you've ever seen in your life, Jojo. That barb talks. He can fly a speeder. And he's great with the kids. Keeps an eye on him when I'm out in the field. Why, just a few weeks ago, he rescued my youngest out from a well. And Jojo says, that's amazing. What happened to the amputated leg? The owner stares at Jojo. Well, man, you don't need a barb like that all at once. Suzeho laughed silently in the darkness, and the wall behind Fett rippled again. I wish I had a thermal detonator. Whoa. So he keeps torturing him like this. So dark, by just telling him really dark-sided joke. It's quite messed up. It's a good little story. I recommend reading it. All right, cool. But eventually, Boba Fett manages to activate the emergency hatch on his jetpack, which causes it to explode inside of the Sarlacc. And basically blasts him out of the pit, his armor melting, his skin burning, his limbs broken, but thankfully alive into the Tatooine desert. Okay, but then does somebody rescue him? Because, like, mm-hmm. being all... Bro- oh, who? Uh, Dengar. The Pokemon? Deng- Dengar, old diaper head. We'll talk about him oh, later. Oh, is he the one where, like... No, 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 we talked about him before, where Han Solo made him poop out his head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, him. Yeah, we did talk about him. Old that. diaper okay. head, yeah. I know, I know him. Yeah, old neighborhood rescues him, but not in that story. It's a different story with Dengar. But yeah, Sarlacc Pits. Wow. Pretty spooky now. Pretty creepy concept. I'm, you know, I was so glad you introduced the, uh, brought the Nazgul to the studio today, because I, I brought a special friend too. You maybe didn't even notice she was here. I got a Sarlacc Pit. You brought a whole Sarlacc Pit? Not the great pit of Carcoon, but the best we can do. Whoa. So introduce Hi. yourself, please. In English? Well, again, if you want to ask some questions to the old pit. All right, sure. How old are you? 
What what would she say? I think it's old. Real old, huh? I think she's old, yeah. What is your philosophy on life? What about uh let's see, do you do you have a a a family, a spouse, children? Wow. Uh let's see, where do you see yourself in five years? Probably the same hole, it sounds like. Same same hole. You're not move I guess you can't move, you're too big. Uh okay. Uh one final question. Uh why do you want to work at our company? Wow, Ooh, that sounded a bit rude. Yeah. Don't have to get that snippy about it, I wouldn't think. Snazzles, do you have any questions for the Sarlacc pit? We've just been to the symphony. Yeah, they really had a good conversation there. Meeting of the minds. They seem to get along famously. You guys want like want us to, to help you exchange numbers? I don't know if you've got a phone, a smartphone. I don't think the the pit's got one either. But... What do you think would happen if you put a Nazgul inside a Sarlacc pit? Well, I guess there's only one way to find out. Boop! <laughs> so, all right, we rid the rule of the world of Nazgul. For now, for a thousand years. We have uh, we have satiated a hungry Sarlacc. You don't think I even have jetpacks, do you? Uh, no. I mean, well, they can fly, but only if they've got fell beasts. Mm. I don't see any fell beasts around here, do you? Well, I see some beasts that done fell into a pit. <laughs> Hold on one sec. This is important. Hold on one sec, please. Okay. Hold on one sec. Again, I can put these sound effects in. No, no, no. Just, just hold on. Just hold on. Just, just hold on. I'm so glad I waited for <laughs> Was it for worth that. waiting for? Yeah. <laughs> I like to think so. And we have explained one thing about Star Wars and one thing about Lord of the Rings, so I think we're done here. I think it's all we gotta do. Yeah. I think we're set. Uh, so if you want to hit us up, you can find us on www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. Yep, you can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and you can rate us up on those and let us know about it. You can also follow us. And like us, please like us, please for the love of God, somebody, somebody just like me, just tell me I'm good on Facebook and Twitter. Just yeah. search what's lightsabers precious. And you can email us thoughts, concerns, corrections, praise heaped upon us at what's lightsabers precious at gmail.com. So it's kind of quick behind the scenes thing. Yeah. Uh, the sounds of the Sarlacc. Yeah. Were created by combining the sounds of an alligator. Yes. With the rumbling stomachs of the Return of the Jedi crew. That's not true. That's true. How do they record people's rumbling stomachs? Well, all the people behind the scenes, they recorded them. Really? Why would that not be true? Why do you not believe that? I, I, I just feel like you can't really control or predict when a stomach's going to rumble, so you have to have that mic on them for Wait quite a while. Wait till they hungry. Wait till they just like, they just didn't feed them. Like, we're not doing catering for the next two days because yeah. we really need to get this out, guys. Sorry. Hold on. That's amazing, the fact that they so, were able to do that. I found it really hard to find Sarlacc sound effects online. So, yes. you know, if you wanted to make your own, like I didn't do for this podcast, 
All you got to do is look up sounds of alligators and mix them with sounds of gurgling stomachs, which I definitely did not do. That was a real Sarlacc talking. That was but, a real one but that we you, had but, in our real But if you studio. wanted to like pretend that you had one in your home, just like, like, we, like we didn't, you could... Just like get really hungry and then bring an alligator in your house. So like I, didn't, I didn't make those sounds at all. I didn't edit them this morning online at all. But, you know, if you wanted to. Well, in return, Ryan, I'll tell you who made the Nazgul sounds. Ooh. Peter Jackson's wife, Fran Walsh. That's what she sounds like? Sure. Yeah, all the time. That's the only way they communicate. God. Yeah. I mean, she's gotten used to it over the years, but, you know, most of the cast and crew were like, yikes, PJ. Glasses breaking I everywhere cannot. this woman goes. No. No. I mean, obviously they did put some sound effects, effects on it, but that is just legit like Fran Walsh screaming. Pretty great. Yeah, pretty great. All right. Okay. That's all. Well, we'll see you next time, Hot Blocks. Yeah, bye, Edith.